Well, a slightly earlier podcast today, again, for the reason for which anyone with even a hint of English blood in them will understand. But what a day Friday was in a week where rising concerns about the Delta variant and others added caution to the markets. We saw a swift reversal at the end of the week. Today, we'll look at how that manifested itself, the reason behind it, and how long it's going to be around for, particularly as closer to home. Sydney recorded another 77 cases of COVID-19 yesterday with a lockdown that could last a lot longer. It's Monday, the 12th of July, 2021. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, certainly a great weekend for sport, wasn't it, with Ash Barty winning the women's singles at Wimbledon. So I wonder if the pound will get caught up in the excitement of England wins the Euros, because we are recording this before the action starts uh, in London. But let's look at Friday, because that was a very different day to earlier in the week. The US dollar was down 0.3% on the DXY on Friday, uh, only marginally down on the week, because, of course, it spent the first couple of days of last week on the rise, almost half a percent up. All of that's gone now, and that big rise from early June has completely flattened out. So even though Friday saw only a small fall in the US dollar, we've seen a big rise in the Aussie dollar and the pound, both at 0.8%. And stocks in the US back on the rise too at the end of the week. The Dow, S&P 500 and NASDAQ all up more than 1%. New record highs, 1.3% for the Dow. The same for the FTSE, 1.7% for the DAX and 2.1% for the CAC Caront. Oil was also up around 2% for Brent and WTI. Same for copper. And bond yields were rising again and curves steepening slightly. 10 Year Treasury yields are up seven basis points to 1.36%, which is exactly the same as the yield on Aussie 10 years. So, Ray Attrell, head of FX Strategy, uh, someone else excited about this morning. Uh, looking at this, though, uh, looking at the finance world, you'd think that COVID caution has gone. This is a fairly sharp turnaround, isn't it? You, you'd, you'd think that the, 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 the virus had been eradicated from the planet looking at this. <laughs> Certainly, same. So, yeah, good morning, Phil. And uh, yes, look, when podcast Friday morning was all about, you know, the world was going to come to an end. We were all, you know, mm. starting to feel. I think we you know potentially with with a lot of justification that um, you know that the the spread of the Delta um, virus in, in various parts of the world um, and some of the big economies of the world in terms of you know, infection rates. Looking at Indonesia, South Korea, uh, Japan, etc., um, a real concern that um, you know that this that we've always talked about the biggest risk to the global um, economic recovery being you know a renewed uh, virus strain that might be um, impervious to uh, to vaccines and we're not to, not quite at that stage but but certainly Friday was in complete contrast to uh, to Thursday with markets sort mm. of you know back on the rise again for no obvious news reason no. that I could see um, except when well, I mean the only the only news really was and and we sort of knew about it beforehand didn't we I mean this the, the, you know the, the the way the PBOC uh, People's Bank of China was uh, tackling this fear of a slowdown in the Chinese recovery I thought we knew this, but maybe we didn't know the size of it or the speed of it. But cutting the uh, the, the reserve requirement ratio. No, it was certainly um, as you know, as we've been talking about earlier earlier in the week, the um, state council meeting um, or the minutes of that meeting that were published, showing clearly that um, the pressure was on the PBOC um, from the government. Obviously, the government and the PBOC are, you know, are to some extent one and the same. But the um, you know the pressure was clearly on for them to respond to signs of economic slowdown um, with a suggested 
cut in the triple R. Now, we thought that that might be, you know, something that, that, that would come to pass in, in coming weeks or months. Um, but in fact, it came, you know, within what, within 72 hours of that. So timing wise, a little earlier than expected. And also um, the fact that it's across the board. So it applies to all financial institutions from uh, from later next week, uh, rather than had, had been suggested, um, you know, just those institutions that are predominantly lending to the uh, small and medium sized enterprises. So um, now there are some upcoming big um, lending maturities. So to some extent, the PBOC is saying, you know, these are designed to, to allow those, um, you know, those maturities effectively to be refinanced without uh, without too much stress. Um, and they have mm. said that, you know, this doesn't represent, uh, you know, significant easing of monetary policy, but uh, but it is also is, is aimed at getting more credit to the SME sector, which of course has been hardest hit, particularly by rising commodity prices in recent uh, in recent months. So, uh, so certainly say a little bit, a little bit earlier, a little bit more, uh, more aggressive than expected. But also, I think it's worth noting that the same time they announced this, we had the June credit numbers, um, and they've shown stronger bank lending on broader credit growth and money supply growth being a bit stronger than markets had expected. So, in terms of markets, I suspect that uh, those credit numbers um, probably resonated as much, or if not more. That yeah, yeah. So did that need to do it? But also, is it going to do much good? You know, is it? Uh, I mean, if the because you know, is, is is the slowdown that we've been seeing? I mean, in, in part that was bec- you know because of supply chain issues, but also international demand, and they need something to kickstart the domestic economy. Is this going to fix the problems for them? Well, it's um, you know never underestimate the ability of the Chinese authorities to pull levers and to have you know a, a, a pretty you know significant response, whether that's fiscal levers or whether it's monetary levers, and uh, you know. There's no doubt that uh, you know the Chinese economy, you know, is very much uh, credit-driven, um, you know, and, and the, the growth of, uh, of Chinese credit also has global implications. So this does alleviate some concerns about the spillover from slowing China credit growth, what we call the credit impulse, into the into the global economy. And I think it goes some way, at least, to alleviating concerns that you know the China slowdown is clearly underway. But let's see whether this Thursday's numbers for Q2 GDP will also get the June activity readings. I would suggest that those credit numbers might just alleviate some concerns that we could be in for some significant downside surprise in those numbers so uh, mm. obviously seeing is believing but um, based on the credit numbers I wouldn't be as concerned perhaps as I otherwise might be now I'm not an economist or an analyst as you know but it's, it doesn't stop me having theories so I've got a theory that we had two bits of news on Friday we had that and then we also had strong employment numbers from Canada as well which we'll come to in a second so there's something else for the markets to focus on and I think you know it, it almost seems like when there's less to focus on uh, when there's no new news no new numbers then the markets start getting back to looking at COVID stats and seeing <laughs> going, oh, my God, and then we get this sort of pessimistic slant on the market. There was certainly the news there on Thursday, but I think you might be right that, um, you know, there was no new news on that front on Friday. And then, you know, when we did have a big mm. pieces of uh, a couple of pieces of positive news and those you know, Canada employment numbers were, were pretty startling. Well, there was it 217,000 in terms of uh, employment growth. Oh, sorry, 230,000, uh, even though a, a bumper yeah. number was expected as a Is reverse the of the previous month's number. Um, so certainly got the market more convinced, I think. That, mm. um, uh, that the Bank of Canada is going to further taper its, uh, its bond so purchases when it meets later this week. Is a consideration of that going to be house prices? Because they are rising sharply in Canada, up 11% year on year. Obviously, some base effects, but largely they're you know, a lot higher than they were going into the pandemic. We've got the same thing in the UK, over 10%. Australian capitals, house prices 8% higher than they were uh, last year. Same issue in the United States, over most of Europe as well. Almost everywhere you look, house prices are on the rise for, for obvious reasons. Now, we know that central banks say, oh, well, you know, we, uh, we're not factoring that 
into into our decisions. But do you think you know underneath underneath the table are they you know considering it when they're looking at uh, at what they do next with uh, with tapering and then the, the rising of interest rates down the track? Well, they are. They clearly are looking at it. Are they looking at it with concern? Well, you know, a lot of people would argue um, not not with as much concern as they should. But mm. the, the stock response, and we've heard that very strongly from uh, Dr. Philip Lowe last week, um, is that look, it's not our job to use monetary policy to control house prices, but you know, there certainly are concerns about lending standards, and there is more and more chatter about some form of sort of macro prudential rules, whether that's relating to sort of um, you know, loan to valuation ratios or debt to income ratios, raising the interest rate threshold, for example, as the test for uh, affordability if interest rates you know, do start to rise. So all of those things I think we're all quite familiar with. But um, mm. in terms of whether it's going to bring higher interest rates um, earlier than otherwise would, would be expected, we're still very sceptical of that front. And what we're seeing with house prices, again, we've talked about before, is that, uh, you know, when you lower interest rates to zero and then, you know, you can borrow money at 2% or less, then what surprise, surprise, yeah. um, house prices go up. And so that is clearly a global phenomenon. You look at New Zealand, where house price inflation is nearly 30%. And they're the, um, they're the poster child, I think, for the efficacy of monetary policy or super low interest rates. Mm. Uh, but obviously, in that case, um, you know, we've got the RBNZ um, meeting later this week with a new monetary policy statement. The market's already thinking that, um, you know, rates are going to rise before the end of this year, and we certainly agree with that, where BNZ colleagues do, um, whether house price inflation is going to bring forward um, the dates of, rate, uh, of higher rates, as uh, they've already got forms of macro prudential um, in place there. But um, mm. yes, it's um, it's a phenomenon that I think, but again, generally, the view of central bankers is that, um, you know, it's, it's macro prudential is the, is the way to deal with, with issues to do with financial stability and concerns there, rather than just raising rates. Now, uh, Jerome Powell probably won't get asked about this. I suspect he well, maybe he will. He's, he's got a lot of time to answer questions, hasn't he? He's, he's got his annual semi-annual testimony to the House Financial Services Committee on Wednesday and then the Senate Banking Committee on Thursday. Ahead of that, we uh, they also produced the monetary policy report to the Senate as well. So we've had that. It had the same lines, didn't it? Uh, jobs are going to bounce back. Inflation is transitory. There we are. Any further questions, basically, is what it was saying. <laughs> but, uh, no, it was interesting. I mean, I've sort of picked a few things out of it, um, you know, having a quick uh, skim of things uh, you know, on Friday night and over the weekend. And uh, one of the things that struck you know, that, that, that you know, caught my eye is that they really spent a lot of time talking about this maximum employment. Remember, the Fed has said we are not going to be raising rates until, in our view, we have achieved maximum employment. And we don't know what maximum employment is, but you know, I think most people would say, well, at the point where wages are really starting to kick up, you've probably reached maximum employment. Um, but they're really stressing that as, as one of their conditions for raising rates. And also, you know, still reasonably emphatic in suggesting that the uh, the uptick that we're seeing inflation um, is going to to return to something closer to 2%. But um, anyway, nothing particularly market moving in that. But obviously, there'll be plenty of, mm. uh, of sound bites coming out of uh, the testimony on Wednesday before the House of Reps, and then again on Thursday before the US Senate. Yeah, well, the beige book's always good for sound bites as well, isn't it, from uh, uh, from uh, U.S. businesses and uh, the, the regional banks, regional central banks. 
Uh, we get CPI out this week as well for the US. So uh, whatever it is, it's transitory, of course, but, but uh, that, uh, that could have an influence. No, I think that will be, remember, you know, a lot of the volatility that we've seen, in, particularly in bond markets in, uh, in the last couple of months has come, you know, directly out of those two, the last two CPI reports, yeah. and um, which both sprung big upside surprises. And in fact, core CPI inflation is expected to hit 4% from 3.8. And, uh, you know, doubtless that the, the, the surprise potential has got to be pretty great in in both directions. So mm. I think that is probably the data highlight uh, internationally, at least for me this week. And bank earnings. So, so the earnings season's kicking off on bank earnings. So, because uh, obviously the stock market needs a bit of a jolly along. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not. Interesting, on, just on that, just worth noting that the banking, with the yield curve steepening again on Friday, mm. the banks did pretty well and they were actually the um, you know the outstanding yes. sector performer behind the recovery in, in the stock market. So, um, you know, whether it's a case of sort of buying the rumour of good bank earnings, I couldn't say, but um, interesting that the financial sector had led that broader move up in uh, in the stock market to new record highs yeah, for the S&P yeah, and the Nasdaq. Yeah, exactly. Now, look, I, I did mention uh, last, last, I think it was last time we were talking, actually, I said, you know, is some of the weakness that we were seeing then in the Aussie dollar because of the Sydney lockdown and the fears about where the, uh, the virus is going? <laughs> And almost as if to prove your point on Friday, you know, we, we heard towards the end of the week, the lockdown is going to last longer, you know, maybe a month or more. And yet we had the Aussie dollar bouncing back 0.8% on Friday. It's, it's incredible, isn't it, really? I mean, certainly, you know, the, the COVID news is clearly not doing the currency any favours here. Uh, but in the context of, you know, a recovery in risk sentiment, commodity prices back on the up, um, commodity currencies are supposed to go up. And they haven't been doing that consistently, but they did on Friday. But in relation to the COVID news here, what, what's probably Probably worth noting is that the Aussie dollar outperformed the New Zealand dollar, and it even outperformed the Canadian dollar, even with higher oil prices and those stonking um, employment numbers. So, in that sense, you turn around and say, actually, um, you know, COVID-related developments aren't having any impact on the Aussie, um, independent of what's happening to commodity currencies in general. Mm. Today, anyway, it's all so volatile, isn't it? Look, uh, it's fairly quiet today as well, which probably doesn't help that point we were making earlier, that if there's not much news, uh, what what does that uh, turn minds to? But we've got uh, card spending for New Zealand, uh, machine orders and PPI for Japan. We get the final read on building permits for Oz, but uh, but not much else. So, well, obviously, a victory for England in the Euros. Uh, that's a dangerous thing to say, isn't it? Because we're recording this before the game, so people who've uh, seen the humiliating defeat... Uh, We'll, we'll be laughing at our optimism, I suspect, but uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. No, no, absolutely. So, yeah, quiet day today. But let's remember here locally also, we've got the NAM business survey on uh, tomorrow. tomorrow. Yep. We've got yep. the uh, and the RBNZ meeting, but you know, also employment numbers um, down here as well, which are going to be pretty important. So, uh, so quite a big week, both internationally and also down here in Australia. Yeah, right. Great. Good to talk, Ray. Good luck with it all. Uh, well, I'll see you on the other side. Will do. Thanks, Phil. And that's it. That's the morning call for this Monday morning. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. See you again tomorrow morning. Can't tell you what sort of mood I'll be in. See you then.